1060 KDUS Tempe Phoenix and KSLX HD2 Scottsdale Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Hour number two of Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until 1 o'clock today as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. This Friday, we, of course, will have Friday spread. It will also be marking uh, our last show of 2023. The Sports Zone with Bob Kemp slated to return on January 2nd and the Extra Point following suit on January 3rd. For now, though, let's uh, reset the scene with today's poll questions, and we'll get things started with the KDOS1060.com poll question here. The Suns, they um, picked up a win over the Warriors yesterday. They're hosting the Nets tonight. So do you now approve? of the Kevin Durant for Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson trade. And we have an overwhelming shift of things here now with no leading the way at 65% of the vote. Yes, trailing at 35%. That is the KDOS1060.com poll question that we will officially answer today around 1230. So still time for you to cast your vote. Twitter, at KDOS AM 1060, the Lakers, they won the NBA in-season tournament. Should the Lakers hang a banner for winning that event? No leads the way at 61.1% of the vote. Yes, trailing at 38.9%. We'll also answer that question around 1230 today. If you'd like to join the program, you certainly can. We'll take calls in this hour around 1215. 602-260-1060 is the number. The Arizona Cardinals, they are back on the practice field prepping to host the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, As it was this morning, the 49ers minus 13.5, Cardinals plus 13.5, over-under sitting at 47.5. Some takeaways from offensive coordinator Drew Petzing as coordinators met the media yesterday here. Uh, He was asked, what tangibles do you want to see from the offense with four games to go? And his answer kind of has been the same throughout the season here he responds with win I think that's always going to be the goal we want to make sure that we were we are putting up one more point than the other team by any means necessary I think that attitude that mentality I think has to be instilled every single day you're in the building so I think that's going to be our focus this week certainly and moving forward Then, uh, kind of piggybacking off of that, he was asked, have you noticed any attitude shift from the beginning of the season to now as the team is sitting at 3-10? and And he said, I haven't. I think the guys have done a really nice job, and it's been that mindset and message that we've kind of instilled since day one is our goal is to improve at every moment, and that's going to be true on April 15th, on December 12th. It's going to be true after every single game, win or lose. I think if you're going to get to where you want to go long-term in this league, that has to be your mindset and i think the guys have done a nice job of sticking to that 
He said April 15th. So you know, that, that's tax day, right? So I don't know if he picked that for, because it's tax day or not. Anyway, um, yeah, I don't really know what he's supposed to say at this point. Um, you know, the, uh, you know, they're 3-10, and 10 and their offense has been inconsistent at best. They've been very good run blocking when they've had a lead. They've been really bad pass blocking when they've been chasing points. Uh, so now furthering on here, uh, we kind of touched on this here in hour number one about all the different motions and shifts that offenses are are doing in the league. And when we've seen some offenses really kind of hit stagnation, it, a lot of analysis comes down to they're not providing those shifts in those motions. And it, it really can uh, at least in some ways – alert the quarterback to what the defense is trying to do or you can hide some different things so that the defense isn't aware of what you're trying to do here so a team that certainly does and effectively does it well the 49ers with all their different shifts and motions petting was asked are you a fan of all of that and do you want to integrate it into the offense and he said absolutely i think it's something if you look throughout the year that we have used at different times especially depending on upon the opponent who is healthy but it's anything we can do to make it hard on the defense if that's motions if that shifts if that's certain formations or personnel we want to do as much of that as possible within reason to make sure we're still doing the things that we're good at but putting stress on those guys yeah in, in Petsing's defense here I think it's really difficult for the Cardinals to be you know doing those things from week to week because they've had so many different cast of characters at key positions on offense in the wide receiver position you know, that has been unstable for you know, a few games now. Hollywood Brown has been, when he did play, has played. He's been clearly not 100%. Obviously, you know, they've lost you know, got a couple guys to injury at receiver. It's a lot of moving parts, no pun intended here with the motion thing, but a lot of moving parts as far as just personnel goes. Uh, and I don't I think that's, that's got to be very difficult for a coordinator to deal with from week to week. So then he was asked here how the identity of the offense is formed and more specifically, is it scheme and then players need to learn the scheme or does it evolve to whatever that season's offense is because of injuries and how players are playing? Petting's response here, I think it's the second part more than anything. It's a combination of the roster is different year to year. To some extent, it's a new 11 out there a little bit. Depending on offseason transactions and everything that goes down, a little bit is just finding out who you are and what you are best at. Certainly, injuries play a big part in that based on who is up and who is healthy. And I think your opponents change every year. Certainly, your division opponents don't. But knowing you're going to play a different opponent and the matchup might be a a little different in terms of what they give you what you need to take advantage of and then you realize as you go through that process kind of what you're good at what you need to focus on and as we've seen it still changes week to week as you go through the rest of the season yeah i don't know what he's supposed to say i mean you know, he's you know doing uh, what you know the cardinals coaching staff has done for the majority of the season and that's basically not tell us that they suck and they know it and they're just trying to get through this season and find a few guys that can fit into the future when they might be a decent team. And they're not that now. 
Uh, then the question here was, how do you evaluate Kyler for what he's been through the first four games and then the evaluation of what you're hoping to see for the next four games? Uh, he says here, I think he's done a really nice job of handling an extremely hard situation to go through that rehab, having torn my ACL myself. Like, that's not an easy task, just physically to get yourself back to where you can play NFL football. And then certainly while you're going through that process to learn a new language, to integrate with new teammates, to jump on the field less than a month ago, I think that's a really tall task, and I think he's done a great job of handling it and embracing it and making the most out of it. I wish here that uh, his answer kind of focused a little bit more on the first four-game evaluation and looking forward to the last four-game evaluation as opposed to mainly just focusing on the rehab process. Well, I think he's doing what he needs to be doing again. I mean, I, I totally, and I think everybody – uh, should at least have some kind of admiration for Murray or any athlete, especially a quarterback that depends on mobility to come back from the injury that he had. And yeah, you know, that seems like it has not been that big of an issue. I don't really see anything different from him as far as, you know, mobility, speed, etc. cetera. Uh, so that's, that's really good. Uh, if he's going to be honest about the first four games, basically, he was really good in the final drive of the first game and heroic, and they won that game. Uh, he made some plays that you know, led them to losing the game in the second game. He was awful in the third game, and he probably had his best moment as a Cardinal on that 99-yard drive in the fourth game. So, you know, I think it's been, uh, if I were going to grade this, it would be a C or incomplete or however you'd like to do that. I don't think there's any way to really predict how the next four games are going to go. Uh, so I, I, I think his, uh, his answer was, uh, I would, if I were asked that question, I would have taken the same route that he did. Well, certainly from a speed standpoint, that was on display in the first game against the Falcons where you saw him uh, get out of a really difficult situation with yeah. his speed and turn it into a massive positive. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I don't think the you know, the mobility thing is you know, that that's there again, and good for him. And that showed I, I I've never gone through any kind of surgery before, uh, so I'm the wrong person to be talking about this, I guess. But uh, yeah, I think it uh, shows that you know he certainly did everything humanly possible to rehab. And if you didn't know that he had an injury. Uh, to a look, you know, to his knee. I don't think that you would really know it unless somebody told you or you saw the play, or etc. So that part is no different. And to me, the inconsistent play is just a quarterback. That's no different than we saw. At least I saw, and what I thought I saw in the first uh, part of his career when he was coached by Kingsbury. So when uh, Drew Petzing joined Adam Schefter, ESPN's Adam Schefter, on his podcast, he did discuss Kyler Murray, and he called him a franchise quarterback. The question here was, can you amplify what you said? Uh, and he responded with, I would almost reiterate that statement. Probably not the answer you want, but he is. He is a franchise quarterback. I think just the way he carries himself, the way he plays the game, the way he leads, just everything about the type of person and player he is just warrants that I think he's done a really nice job of embracing that and continuing to grow and improve like we've talked about as we want everybody in that room to do yeah okay I'd like to get I don't know what he's supposed to say um, certainly there's been plenty of you know former teammates former executives here the owner with the you know the clause that was in his contract that they removed um, not everybody would agree that he's been the model teammate. 
think that's safe to say. Moving away from the offensive side of the ball here, it's going to be a huge task for this Cardinals defense to slow down the 49ers offense. Not many have been able to successfully do that this season here. So just briefly from Nick, Nick Rollis, defensive coordinator, he was asked, how do you game plan against the 49ers? And he said, yeah, you got to play a holistic game and do a lot of different things. They're hitting on all cylinders with the run game, the pass game, the screen game. They can do a lot of different things with a lot of different people. They do a good job of spreading the ball around, moving people around, and you have to be able to play good football in every aspect of it and it is hard to pinpoint hey let's just take this away it takes a complete <laughs> game to com- to compete with these guys totally agree with that i mean i if i were a defensive coordinator of the team that i would least want to see uh, even if i had talented players on my defense which the cardinals have very few of uh, i would not want any part of trying to figure out how to scheme up against san francisco's offense I'm not even sure where I would start. I guess I would probably always start with trying to stop the run and take my chances, but good luck in trying to stop the run. Yeah, we talked about the 49ers in hour one. Uh, You know, Christian McCaffrey seeing what he's seeing, eight in the box, and he's still gaining over one rush yard per attempt than expected. So he's he's still finding ways to be explosive. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, no doubt about that. I think that's an excellent point to bring that up again. Because uh, it just kind of fits what we're talking about now, so there's no question about that. Yeah, they're uh, they're really good, and uh, yeah, Brock Purdy I think is finally getting a little credit. Uh, you know, it's not just all the system; the system certainly helps. But I mean, his accuracy and uh, hitting receivers in stride. We, we didn't see Jimmy G do much of that for three or four years, however long he was the quarterback. Uh, this team clearly is better. At quarterback now because they have a uh, quarterback that you know, is you know, more accurate and you know, just it seems to understand what's going on a little more, quite frankly, than uh, Jimmy G did. But uh, and, uh, the, you know, the first time the Cardinals played the Niners, really the Cardinals got blown out twice. Uh, the, the Niners had a lead and the Cardinals made a mini run, quote unquote. Uh, no point did I think they were ever going to really win the game. But then when uh, you know the Cardinals got close, it was kind of like I don't know if the Niners were asleep at a switch, asleep at the switch for a couple of series. But once they needed to win, go out and win the game, they blew them out again in the first meeting in San Francisco. Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, goodness, they they have they have all the players to be able to hit you, uh, no matter what you're yeah. trying to stop. So it, it certainly will be a tough task for uh, the Arizona Cardinals defense. That's for certain. Yeah, I would think so. Now, you know, the other side of the ball, you know, the Cardinals offense might have a little better opportunity uh, considering that it appears, at least as of right now, and we're sitting on Wednesday, we don't have a, the Wednesday practice reports yet, obviously, from the West Coast. Uh, that in San Francisco is usually kind of last in posting practice reports, I've mentioned, I've noticed over the last couple of years. Uh, so maybe we'll get those late this afternoon. Uh, but you know, they could be without three of their key defenders this week, which would help the Cardinals' offensive chances of hanging in the game. Your phone calls, if you'd like to join the program, 602-260-1060 is the number. We'll get to your calls on the other side of the break. 602-260-1060. It is the extra point on this Wednesday, December 13th. SB Nation Radio is now Sports Map Radio, keeping sports content fresh and fun. Join us right here on KDUS AM 1060.
12:23 on this Wednesday, December 13th in the Extra Point. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you. 602-260-1060 is the number if you'd like to chime in to today's show. 602-260-1060. Continuing some NFL topics from around the league. This is certainly picking up some steam. Bill Belichick even asked about it today here. Tom Curran of NBC Sports Boston is saying that uh, after the Patriots lost in Germany to the Colts, which was a 10 to 6 debacle. Uh, the team concluded it would part ways with Belichick at season's end. Quote here from Tom Curran as he was on a uh, show Monday Monday morning. When they came out of Germany, conversations I had that w- that uh, that week made it pretty clear that a decision was made. They were going to play out the string, and at the end of the year, uh, there would be a parting of the ways for a variety of reasons. So that's where things, uh, at least according to Tom Curran's reporting, stands. Bill Belichick uh, just answering the question as we're focused on kansas city this week huh. okay well i'm not sure what he's supposed to say at that point either i mean tom curran's been in the media in boston for some time so you know we'll see if uh this is an accurate story in the long run it wouldn't be surprising um you know it'd be interesting to see if, if belichick is gone at the end of the year one way or the other whether it's Kraft's uh, decision or you know, Belichick's or you know, mutual decision, however that's going to work, you know, what do they do next? Yeah, what do they do next? Uh, if if he is in fact gone, there was been some speculation and talk that uh, Gerard Mayo may be uh, kind of the coach in waiting, if you will, because he's had plenty of opportunities and looks elsewhere, and it seems as though in the offseason they paid him well to stay uh, as co-defensive coordinator or maybe even defensive coordinator taking over some of the, the roles and duties from Belichick's son. Uh, so that's always been one kind of looming thought process there. Uh, there also was all of those Vrabel rumors for quite some time as well. Um, otherwise, you know, who knows what direction that uh, the New England Patriots would go in after such a long, long stint with a lot of success with Tom Brady there quarterbacking the team and Bill Belichick as the head coach. I would strongly suggest they just move away from everything and start over entirely. Hire a general manager to be a general manager and have the general manager hire the next coach. Uh, there's also been some speculation throughout the uh, season prior to this particular report, but, you know, thought the thoughts that if Belichick does move on, where is a good spot for him? I've seen uh, the Chargers be a team that has popped up. I've also seen the Commanders as a team that has popped up. There was also then at some point in the season – Um, conversation about how Belichick signed a long-term deal. Curran's reporting is that it's not necessarily a long-term deal. It's just one more additional year. Uh, So not this year, but next year. So it wouldn't be that challenging, at least according to Curran's report, to get out of that situation. Yeah, I don't have any idea, obviously, what the contract terms are there. But, yeah, we've seen – you know, contracts be voided, and, you know, guy, you know, agents get their way out of contracts and negotiate their way out of things, and, you know, you know players, coaches, uh, you know, anything. Uh, you know, I, I don't really believe too many. I, and there always seems to be a way out of a contract if the, the parties actually want to get out of the contract. 
Some other NFL news here from today. Uh, looks like the Browns on their defensive side of the ball have put uh, safety Grant Delpit on injured reserve with a uh, with a groin injury. That's just a couple of days here after he signed a three-year, $36 yeah. million dollar extension. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's had a really good season. I think it's been uh... – yeah, I think he's been a disappointment. Uh, he was a high draft pick out of LSU uh, until this year. But obviously, uh, with Jim Schwartz as the uh, defensive coordinator, you know, he's been a much better player. Uh, you know, I'm not sure if he has the uh, home and road splits that their entire defense has as far as effectiveness goes. Uh, they've been great at home, and they've been really pretty bad in the road in many cases. And I'm not sure if he's part of that or not, but – the fact that uh, Delpet's out for a while, that, that's uh, for really the injury reserve, that's the rest of the regular season at this point. And uh, so that's, uh, that's a big blow. And, uh, you know, the Browns are one of the few teams that uh, I think has actually been on an uptick here of late. And uh, this, is a, this is certainly a setback. Man, I'm going to have to go back and basically scrap everything I said about the defense in hour number one because there's more about the Browns' defense here. So, Grand Delpit there on IR. Uh, Jake Trotter of ESPN reporting that uh, Orko Ronco has a pectoral injury that could end his season. He's had four and a half sacks, so that's another uh, just particular blow to the Browns' defense. That's true. Um, you know, not good. And uh, I'm not really sure uh, what his role is. Quite obviously, he's got some sacks, but I mean, he's not a guy that, uh, you know, when I think of the Browns defense, I, he's not a guy that I first think of, certainly. And, you know, Miles Garrett was actually either benched or, you know, he sat out a few series uh, last week after, you know, the Jags had done a little number on him for the first couple of parts of that game. He was also coming off of a shoulder injury, which I assume he still has. And, in fact, Garrett did not have a tackle or a quarterback pressure the week before when they lost on the road uh, against uh, against the Rams. Not even a pressure on the quarterback. No tackles, no nothing. Zero in every stat. The Vikings wide receiver Justin Jefferson telling reporters today that he will play on Saturday in Cincinnati after, after leaving Sunday's contest and uh, going to the hospital. Thanks to Josh Dobbs, uh, just a horrible pass. And the, uh, the you know, you always hear about the receivers getting laid out to dry by bad passes from the quarterback, and that was, uh, you know, kind of the definition of that. And maybe any play I've seen this year from a you know pass from a quarterback that the receiver just was going to get drilled, and that happened unfortunately to Jefferson. That was on his uh, second catch after coming back after missing five or six weeks because of injury with the hamstring. And uh, now it's going to be, uh, you know, another Nick Mullins is going to be the starting quarterback this week. And uh, we'll see how Jefferson does with him. We didn't get much of an opportunity to see how much Dobbs and Jefferson could work together because after two catches, Jefferson was done. Switching away from the NFL and coming here locally, the Arizona Diamondbacks, they introduced Eduardo Rodriguez yesterday, their new pitcher that they acquired here. Uh, some news, though, as Ken Kendrick, the owner, addressed the media after that introductory press conference and just a couple of takeaways here. He mentioned the playoff run windfall and that the Diamondbacks are headed for a record payroll in 2024. They're already at about $130 million on the books. The record... 
uh, for the Diamondbacks was actually in 2018 at 131 million. And a direct quote from Kendrick here is, "We have more to do, and Mike Hazen has been given the authority to go make the team better than it is as we sit here today." That's good. I don't. You know, there's some speculation nationally that several teams, including the Diamondbacks and the Texas Rangers, are going to have to have some kind of uh, adjustment in payroll because of the lack of regional television deal uh, for both of those teams and a few other ones. Uh, but apparently that's not the case for the Diamondbacks based on, I guess, what Kendrick said yesterday. Yeah, he also was asked about, you know, where things stand in terms of television here. Uh, his quote, very generic, but he says we'll have a very viable regional television deal going into next year. That's it. Uh, but he did hint the fact that it could be like a hybrid, if you will, with some of the games being over the air as well as uh, some regional opportunities through cabling. So, uh I guess we'll have to wait and see what eventually gets put out there. But obviously, the Bally Sports Arizona situation, no more. And they're going to have to uh, find something else for the 2024 season. That's true. And, uh, you know, like I said, you know, at least the national speculation is that uh, several teams, you know, the Padres obviously have already been affected by this. But I think the Padres thing's a little more complicated uh, because unfortunately, their owner, uh, you know, passed away in the last you know couple of months here, and you know he's the one that decided I'm going to put all this money into the franchise and so forth, uh, because he wanted to win a championship because because his health was failing, and uh, obviously they didn't win the championship, and you know Juan Soto's gone, and I would assume that uh, they they wouldn't mind trading some other guys too, but uh, they've got some guys that are making way too much money to get traded. Uh, even if the, you know, I think their their opportunities in San Diego for trades with some of their big money players are slim, especially to say Xander Bogarts, which was just a stupid idea to begin with that they signed him for all that money. Uh, the last thing that caught my attention here from Ken Kendrick meeting the media yesterday, uh, that there's obviously what's going to happen with Chase Field and are the Diamondbacks going to be playing at Chase Field for the foreseeable future? Will they be finding somewhere else to go in town? Will they be leaving entirely? Uh, he definitely squashed any uh, any thought about them leaving Arizona altogether, uh, but it does seem likely that they'll be staying at Chase Field with a renovation in place for that, uh, but nothing you know, too definitive, still a little bit lobbying, if you will, some political leaders to try to uh, make some improvements, et cetera. And owner, owner lobbying the political world? No, really? In professional sports? Shocking. Um, I don't think it's his call whether they live Arizona or not, by the way. Whose call do you think it is? Major League Baseball? Major League Baseball, yes. Well, um... I, I think, obviously, the team having the success that they did last season helps the community support rallying around that success helps if they continue to put uh, a winning product on the field that engagement will be there you would hope but uh you know like i said i mean if he just wants to pick up and leave i don't think major league baseball is gonna go for that at this also point. the vegas thing so, is no no longer a viable option with the a's going there yes that would be true even though we're not exactly sure when the a's are going to be playing there because that's kind of a mess in itself. True. It's poll question time on the other side of the break. KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. 
downloaded the KTUS 1060 app yet? Download today and get all of your favorite local and national shows right on your phone. Here on KDOS AM 1060, it is The Extra Point. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until 1 o'clock today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. This Friday, our final show of 2023, we're looking to go out as a winner uh, for Friday spread. So we'll dive into all of those games as well and hoping to have uh, winners for the weekend. As it is yes, right. That's always fun. Yes. So we're always winners, though. I mean, you know, whether they're winning games or not, that's another thing sometimes, but we're winners. All right. I like that positivity there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, KDOS1060.com's poll question here. Uh, the Phoenix Suns, they beat the Warriors yesterday. They're playing once again tonight, hosting the Nets. It's going to be the first time that Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson are back to Phoenix since the trade. Do you now approve of the Kevin Durant for Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson trade? Yes or no? Well, I, I might have been the only person in Maricopa County that didn't like the trade when it was made. Um, and not surprisingly, I like it even less now. Uh, you know, Durant remains an elite scorer. But he's not even close to the elite defender that he once was, and the Suns need somebody, anybody, that can defend somebody occasionally, and they don't have much of that. Uh, Bridges, on the other hand, has become a top-notch uh, offensive player with the ball in his hands much more, averaging 23 points and also four assists per game. Uh, he's obviously had the ball more than he ever did when he was with the Suns when they had – you know, Chris Paul for the majority of that time, or all that time, quite frankly. Also, I think that uh, you know, certainly there's no doubt, not surprising, that Bridges remains amongst uh, the best defensive players in the league. As far as Johnson, he's averaging 15.7 points, 5.7 rebounds per game, and he's no worse than an above-average defender. So, But those two guys did not fit into the uh, fantasy basketball approach of Suns owner Matt Ishbia. Uh, who approved the deal about uh, just a couple of days after he gained control of the Suns organization. I just think it was a bad trade at the time, and I think it's even worse now. So, you know, Mikael Bridges has been tremendous for the Nets. Uh, we know what he can do defensively, and we've seen his scoring with his opportunities presented to him with Brooklyn and also the necessary uh, portion of it for him to do that on for Brooklyn's team. 23.1 points per game, six rebounds, four assists, 49.2% field goal percentage. We would see kind of some inconsistencies in scoring, but he wasn't asked to do all of that here with Phoenix. He is for the Nets. He is a number one scoring option for them. So his, his versatility is well on display in Brooklyn. And I think when we were look at how this roster was constructed that they weren't winning with Mikhail and Cam and the way that things currently were and if in a perfect world if you could have kept Mikhail added a piece like Kevin Durant that would have been ideal but Brooklyn was in no way shape or form going to go for that 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 Mikhail needed to be part of that trade um 
now as you currently look at things, there's questions about, you know, how is this all going to work? How is this all going to unfold? And as we sit here on, you know, December 13th, uh, health is certainly a question for uh, the big three that are on the court now for the Phoenix Suns, Uh, the bench, the depth. Uh, really not having a point guard, not having uh, a really big power forward in certain circumstances because they do have to go small a lot, uh, I think starts to really show up in ways. But I still maintain that we have not seen the three of them on the court yet, so it feels all really incomplete. I think the part that like everyone really struggles with is that Mikhail and Cam were, were homegrown players here. There was also the element of uh, they had fun dynamic personalities it was really fun to just kind of grassroots get back behind this phoenix suns team and to watch them play uh so that you were building something kind of from the ground up so if you could just keep the nucleus in place and add a couple of different pieces it didn't work out that way in terms of what was available for other teams to be able to to kind of change the dynamics there they got close and needed something else to get over the hump they tried something and i feel like it's incomplete at the moment to say yes or no that it, it worked out or it didn't. The masses are on the no side of things at 68% of the vote. Yes, sitting at 32%. This is KDOS1060.com's poll question. Tossing things on over to Twitter at KDOSAM1060. The Lakers, they hung a banner, uh, or they will hang a banner for winning the NBA in-season tournament. Should they? Uh, you know, sure, why not? This whole thing is pretty silly. Um, you know, so if they want to embrace the silliness, then that's that's cool. Uh, what's not silly, though, I think, is the monetary compensation behind all of it and how serious, uh, you know, the, the Lakers stars took all of this to be able to help the, the two-way players, to be able to help the bench players here uh, be able to get an extra payday. So that part, you know, seeing those players' reaction and them being so ecstatic about uh, some some increase in, in pay, I think, is pretty cool. But as for the banner, I mean, I don't really care. I think it's an absolute joke that they're going to do this. If they're going to have, you know, it seems to be somewhat unclear exactly what they're going to do, but they're going to do something to recognize that they're the first ever in-season tournament champion. Uh, I think it's, like I said, it's a joke that one of the most celebrated franchises in NBA history apparently is going to commemorate a three-week meaningless in-season tournament and you know, compare that to the 17 teams that won NBA championships that busted their asses for months to win a real NBA championship, to compare those that are an insult to all the players that won previous championships, including the guys that are on their current team. I mean, it's absolutely absurd to think that they might actually do this. I might think if this were a franchise that's never won an NBA championship ever, like the Suns, for instance, uh, maybe then the you know if the Suns do anything in an in-season tournament, then you know they need to you know, raise any banner they could find because they've never raised a banner for winning any championship in any form of the NBA ever. But the, for the Lakers to do this is just appalling, and an insult to the players that worked their asses off to win real NBA championships. No, out in front, 61.1% of the vote. Yes, trailing at 38.9%. This is on Twitter, at KDUS AM 1060. We will wrap up this edition, this Wednesday, December 13th edition of the Extra Point on the other side of the break. 
Bob Camp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you. As always, follow along with us online at kdos1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. There's still time to get yourself eligible for some pretty sweet hoops tickets. Download the KDOS 1060 app. Make sure you register. That's a key component to everything. And get yourself eligible for those hoops tickets. One final segment to go next. Show Monday through Friday, 1 to 3 p.m., right here on KDUS AM 1060. Wednesday, December 13th edition of Extra Point here on KDUS AM 1060. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you for a few more minutes, but it's that time once again. It is thank you time. As always, we thank you for listening. Special thanks to callers, emailers, tweeters, texters, whomever, and whatever else slipped the cracks. Also, we weren't able to hook up with Eric at home today from NFL Media. He's a big time hit honcho guy now at NFL Media, so you, uh, had to take a call when we were scheduled to join, uh, have him join us. But that's okay. Uh, we'll catch up with Eric in the future. He's been on this show for many years. Good dude. Uh, really insightful and so forth. So we'll catch up with him in 2024. Also, uh, Thursday at 10:15, uh, we'll preview the uh, college football playoffs. So stay tuned for that tomorrow. And then uh, Friday at 10:15. We'll preview the uh, Niners, get the latest on the Niners heading into the game against the Cardinals this weekend with another longtime Sports Zone guest, Matt Mayoko of NBC Sports Bay Area. And a lot going on in San Francisco. Hopefully, uh, we'll have uh, some injury updates and hopefully uh, some of the injured players uh, that the uh, Niners had from last week. And uh, at least in the early part of this week, uh, those guys will all be healthy enough to play. Uh, this upcoming week against the Cardinals. Sound today, courtesy of 3TV, Yes Network, ESPN, and then uh, the New England Patriots plus CBS. Special thanks, as always, to Kayla, Corey, and Aaron. And Kayla's going to tell us what's coming up next. Yeah, that's right. Coming up next from 1 to 3 p.m., it is the Doug Gottlieb Show, followed by the Rich Eisen Show from 3 to 5, the Sports Zoo with Dave Rooster Bierstein from 5 to 6, and then it is the debut show of Top of the Valley with Coach A. Dare. Uh, ASU Women's Basketball, their season is underway. They'll be uh, kind of, you know, hit or miss here for, for the uh, holiday break as well as finals and things like that upcoming, but certainly getting back into conference play, the final year of the Pac-12 conference play, if you will, as mm. we approach uh, the start of the new year. So the first installment of Top of the Valley, it is actually a one-hour show, and it will be aired uh, tonight at 7 o'clock. So that's what's coming up here on KDUS AM 1060. 
The uh, Heisman Trophy coverage saw 2.308 million tune in on ESPN, which is actually up 40% from last year with Caleb Williams winning. I didn't get your reaction to uh, Jaden Daniels being the Heisman Trophy winner on Monday. I don't think they had much choice, as it turned out. You know, certainly after uh, you know, Nick's had the awful game on Friday night in the conference championship game for Oregon and the Pac-12 conference championship game, and I don't think that Penix did enough in the second half of the season. His numbers were way down, obviously. I don't think there's any doubt that he clearly had some kind of injury he was dealing with also. Uh, but, uh, you know, the way that Daniels accumulated stats and so forth, and I even heard Daniels mentions the possibility as the second quarterback drafted behind Caleb Williams on, a, on an NFL podcast here in the last couple of days. So he's shooting up draft boards in addition. I thought he could be a pretty good quarterback when he first came here. Uh, played for ASU, was really tremendous with all those fourth-quarter comebacks in his freshman year. And things obviously got progressively worse here for a lot of reasons. Some of it was his play. Uh, some of it was all the off-the-field stuff. Some of it was the receivers. But I never imagined in my wildest dreams that he'd be this good of a quarterback uh, somewhere else. And, you know, Brian Kelly's done a really good job with him, needless to say. And he's got some players around him. He certainly has some good receivers in LSU, but it's worked out perfectly. So I just, you know, if you, if I actually had a Heisman vote uh, by the end of the season there and assessing the whole thing, even with three losses, uh, would, uh, I would have voted Daniels number one because, to me, you know, Penix and Knicks played themselves out of the number one spot. Uh, you know, I'm sure that Jaden Daniels the last two seasons uh, has certainly been catching the attention of NFL scouts and he'll be moving up in draft boards. Do you think that game translates to the NFL? Uh, if he can take the hits, um, it, he's, you know, he got he obviously got knocked out of the Alabama game, but that was a concussion thing. He's gotten a little bit bigger and I'm, you know, I think it'll be very curious and be interesting to see what he weighs at the combine. Uh, or the whenever you know whenever he gets officially weighed, whether that's at the combine or whether he has a personal workout or whatever, I don't have any idea how they're going to go about that. But uh, I think that's uh, the I think the biggest I think his game certainly transfers to the NFL right now because uh, you know in spite of the four thousand quarterback injuries we had this season, they are trying to protect the quarterback like never before. Uh, but some of these quarterbacks have to learn how to take a hit. And I'm not saying that Daniels – Daniels did that play in the Alabama game that had nothing to do whether he can take a hit or not. Uh, but, you know, Justin Fields comes to mind. Just for an example, last week, you know, Fields had you know, a really good game, as it turns out, against, against the Lions. But he took two hellacious shots in that game. And they actually mentioned – and they showed one of them. He was grimacing in pain after one of those hits. And he kind of quit running after that for the rest of the game, and they were able to hold on and win that game because the Lions' offense was just not very good. But, uh, you know, you know, I think his game translates to the NFL. I just wonder if he can take the physical beating that seemingly every quarterback takes at some, at some point of their career. Uh, Al Michaels, it's being reported here that he will not be a part of NBC calling playoff games. Uh, this was something that he did last year. Uh, even though he moved well, they on, only, they only have like one playoff game, right? So, well, I mean, I, I, maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong about that, but I don't think that you know, he did like Tarico and Collinsworth did the, the main games, and he had like one playoff game last year. 
That's right. He just did one playoff game last year from at least what I read this morning, uh, that it'll be Tariko and Collinsworth for three of the NBC playoff games yeah. this year. Yeah. And then it'll be Noah Eagle and Todd Blackledge for one. So I think the original part of his deal going over to Thursday night football uh, was going to be that he would be able to come back to NBC and do w- at least one playoff game. He did last year's with Tony Dungy, and those two are not going to be part of the playoff coverage moving forward this year. I'm sure he's really happy, Michael, also about the Easton Stick and Aiden O'Connell game that he'll be broadcasting tomorrow night. I would have to think otherwise, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think he's uh, he's got, he's a reason to complain. I mean, he's seen some really bad football for two years in a row. These Suns, they are hosting the Brooklyn Nets tonight. You can catch the game 7 p.m. on 3TV as the Suns are welcoming in Cam Johnson and Mikhail Bridges. I imagine there will probably be something for them video-wise before the game oh, gets I'm underway. I'm not sure about that. Uh, I'd be, I'd, 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 I'm not, I wouldn't think that's etched in stone. I mean, I wouldn't uh, say for sure that might happen. I'm not positive that will happen. I don't think we've seen a... Uh, with the current uh, ownership situation, whether you know they traded them like two days after they took over, as far as the owner here, they were gone. So you know, I, don't, I, I hope they do something, but I'm not sure that's going to happen. That'll do it for this Wednesday, December 13th edition of The Extra Point. We get things started tomorrow with the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp from 10 to 11 in this year program from 11 to 1. Talk to you then. 